Revelation chapter 11, if you would. I'll take the next, uh, say, 35 minutes or so. And uh, <clears throat> what I'm probably going to do in looking at this, we'll see. I'm thinking what I'm going to do is just make uh, make one point to you. So we'll basically cover one verse. Be verses uh, maybe four and five might touch into probably six too, but that one point should cover those three uh, verses. So we'll be running some references, uh, making our way here through the book of Revelation. Let's pray before we start. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for the day you've given to us. We ask you to continue to work. Lord, I definitely have sensed your spirit here today and your blessings on us. Um, Lord, we ask you to... Please see us through now these next few minutes. Uh, we can't do anything. Uh, can't do anything without you. And I know that, Lord. I'm well aware of it. And so I need you. I pray you'd help me as we go over these verses and teach the truth of the Word of God. Get um, the points through that need to be made and help your people's faith in your book to be strengthened and helped. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we've been going through here and, and uh, working through our, our way through Revelation uh, verse by verse. And last time... I pointed out to you, if you'll remember, that there's these two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 that are coming back in the tribulation period uh, to be witnesses at this at that time. And here's the here's the point that I wanted to make. All right. So last time, I think if you'll remember, we looked and said how people will teach that Enoch is probably one of the two witnesses. And I pointed out to you that that's not the case. Um, that's that's a. I gave you the verse that they use, and so forgive me for a minute here if this is redundant to you, but i got to make this point, so you got to trust me. i got to make this point. you got to understand this. All of these false teachings, okay, they take a verse from your Bible, and they pull that verse out of the context that that verse is in, and then they will base a doctrine all around one verse that's pulled out of its context. So when you study your Bible, you got to compare spiritual things with spiritual. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, right? So when you come to a verse and you're not sure, and it's not super clear, then in order to make an unclear verse become clear, you go to clear verses and you interpret the unclear verse in light of the clear verses. Is that making sense so far? So there are some verses that are very clear. There's no question about what is being taught. And you go to those, and you read those things. I'll never forget this. Brother Lintz used to tell when, when I was in, the, in his church for a little while and in the Blue Ridge Bible Institute. He would say this. He would say, anything out of context is a pretext. Basically, your preconceived notions. <laughs> you can read anything you want to into the Bible. Anything out of context is a pretext. So when you study your Bible, you got to look at the context. you got to look verses before. you got to look at verses after. If you're still unclear about what that verse means, because it's a cloudy verse, because there are some cloudy verses, then you compare spiritual things with spiritual. You take that cloudy verse and you go to clear verses, and you let clear verses shed light on the cloudy verse. So here's the trick in giving you a false doctrine when it comes to Revelation. They say this, we all know that the rapture of the church is coming. We're going to get called out of here. At the end of, that, at the, end of the rapture is the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. We're pre-millennial and we're pre-trib. We believe the church is going out before the tribulation. 
All right, so here's what they'll say. Well, these two witnesses that are coming back in the tribulation, one of them has to be Enoch because here's your verse. Are you ready? It is appointed unto man once to die. Well, I showed you last week, Enoch didn't die. He was translated. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Remember that? I showed you that back in Genesis uh, 5. Well, why, did, why is Enoch the exception where everybody else has to die? Because there's one generation coming that's going to be alive and remain under the coming of the Lord that won't die. You were going to just be here one day and gone the next. He was not for God took him. It's the rapture of the church. It's the calling out. It's the come up hither. So Enoch was a Gentile. Remember we saw that because the first Jew doesn't show up until Genesis chapter 12, right? So Enoch's before Abraham. He wasn't even a Jew. Now, what we're going to see today is that these two witnesses in verse number 4, Revelation eleven four, these two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So these witnesses are olive trees is what they're likened to. Okay, so that's kind of cloudy, right? These two guys are olive trees, all right? So now if I pull that out of context and try to, I could tell you that's Mickey Mouse and the Lone Ranger. But where's my authority to say that? Well, they're two olive trees, and then I can start playing shenanigans with your mind and make you believe that they're two olive trees, and then you have a verse on it. But wait a second. Let's, let's let the Bible explain the Bible. These two guys, I'll just tell you, these two guys are Moses and Elijah. Those are the two witnesses that are coming. Um, and I'll show you why. Let's run the references here. First of all, there are two olive trees. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. <clears throat> what is an olive tree? What's the significance of these two olive trees? I'm going to show you, according to the Bible, they have to be Jews. Um, if, if that passage is clear, these guys got to be Jews. They can't be Gentiles. Enoch was a Gentile. So you know it's not Enoch. Deuteronomy 28, uh, look at verse 40. Thou shalt have olive trees. See that? Throughout all thy coasts. But thou shalt not anoint thyself with the olive, for thine olive shall cast his fruit. Notice the, the point I want you to get out of that is thou shalt have olive trees throughout all thy coasts. When God puts Israel in there, he tells them that he has olive trees throughout their coast. Do you know what the olive tree is a type of? The olive tree is a type of Israel. Uh, let, me, let me prove it to you. Go, go with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 11. Now, here's a great passage. I think next, once we get done, oh, we did get done with first, uh, Second Corinthians. I think next we're going through the book of Romans. And this is an important book because a lot of false doctrines come out of it. And we'll take our time getting through it and we'll spell this stuff out to you. But one of the false doctrines that's out there right now is they say that the church replaced Israel. And they'll tell you that all the promises that God gave the Jew in the Old Testament now apply to us. Well, that's a really twisted thing to tell people. Because in the Old Testament, your promise that, you know, your fruit, if you'll do right, your fruit won't cast itself and all that kind of stuff the ground's going to bring forth and all these promises of wealth and health and all the rest of that stuff to the Jews. You guys ever go in the Christian bookstore and see the prayer of day Jabez? People got the prayer of Jabez and oh bless me and enlarge my coast and all this stuff. Well, the charismatic church jumps on that 
And they start teaching that if you give to God, then He's guaranteeing to give back to you. It's the prosperity gospel. They start making all these promises to you that if you'll do right, and if you'll follow God, everything's going to go great in your life. So then when things don't go great in your life, you get cancer, you get uh, uh, fired from your job, or your, your furnace goes out, or whatever else happens in your life. Things don't go great. But you were trying to serve God. Everybody looks at, well, you must, there must be sin in your life. Why? Well, because the promises of God are that if you do right, He's going to bless you and not curse you. And if you do wrong, He's going to curse you. So obviously you're doing wrong because you're cursed right now. You've got to understand, those promises don't apply to you in the church. If those promises apply to you in the church, then you explain to me how it is that people that believe the Bible just like you believe the Bible... And, and believed it so much that they stood up for their faith, were tortured, murdered, massacred, fed to lions. I'm talking about, I'm talking about mamas stand there. I, I remember reading one story a while back. They take her out to the edge of the cliff, and they start with her, young, with, her, with her oldest child, and they say, deny Christ, and she's holding an infant in her arms. And she says, won't do it. Throw the kid off the cliff, shatter him on the rocks at the bottom, go to the next one, deny Christ, won't do it. Goes all the way through all her kids, then rips the baby out of her hands, chucks the baby off the cliff. Watch your infant splatter at the rocks beneath, deny Christ, she won't do it. They chuck her off the cliff. That was in the church age. Well, if you're going to apply you know, Jewish promises to the church, you explain that to me. You know what you'll do in the church? You'll sell out to Jesus Christ. You'll dedicate your heart, your mind, your life to serving the Lord. And then he said, in the world ye shall have what? Blessings? <laughs> you sell out extra special, say, I want God. I want God. I want God. I want God. That's what I want. I want the truth. All I care about is truth. And you get on fire for truth and you fall in love with the truth because that's exactly what God wants you to do. Sanctify them through thy, thy word is truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the what? Oh. So you realize the importance of truth and you sell out for truth and you say, that's it, no matter what, I'm going after the truth. And then you leave a big fancy church and you come to a little church like this and then everything just, your life just blossoms and everything goes wonderful, Right? No, all your friends think you lost your mind, you get criticized, you get beat up, you get made fun of, they reject you. Well, you're following Jesus Christ, right? What did they do to him? They rejected him. So all this stuff about the churches inheriting the promises of Israel is a lie. And then you tell people you sign up to do right and everything's going to be wonderful. No, you sign up to do right and God will bless you for it for sure. But not all your blessings are necessarily here. Now let me just say this. God does bless a lot here. He does, man. The best decision I ever made in my life was to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the second best decision, and nothing against my wife, that was the third best. The second best decision, seriously, the second best decision was when I decided that I didn't know what was best for my own life. And when I did what he just talked about, and I, I did the same thing that he has had to do, and I ate humble pie, and I accepted what I didn't want to accept, and I changed course and direction to follow what God wanted me to do with my life. That was the second best decision I ever made. And that's better than picking a good wife. Because you pick a good wife and you don't follow God, you can just turn a good wife into a bad one, a good marriage into a terrible one. So I'm not being a jerk when I say that was the third best decision. Serving the Lord's been wonderful. 
I recommend it to everybody. I recommend you follow Jesus Christ no matter what that means. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you about the Bible to get you to serve God. Just because you're doing right and serving God does not mean you're not going to have problems. Does not mean you're not going to have bereavements and struggles and issues. You don't get the promises God made to Israel. You're not Israel. You're the church. So in Romans chapter 11, we're, we're looking at something here that's going to help a lot in, in nailing this down. Uh, look back with me, if you would, please, at verse number... Let's look at, look at verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the... So that makes Paul your apostle. I magnify mine office. Paul didn't want it, but God said, this is what I want you to have. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them that are my flesh. What was Paul's flesh? He was an Israelite. Right? He was a Jew. And might save some of them. For if the casting away of them, the casting away of the Jews, God did cast them away. They rejected Jesus Christ. They crucified him. They said, we'll not have this man reign over us. And then he gave him another chance early on in the book of Acts that we'll teach at another time. And they rejected him again with the stoning of Stephen. So he turned from them and he went to the Gentiles. And now you're in the Gentile church age. So if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, Gentiles, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You know what God's going to do? He's going to receive them back again. That's what He's doing over here in Revelation chapter 11 when the great tribulation hits the world and, there, and we're going to see it next time. The Antichrist comes and he's trying to wipe out Israel and all the nations of the world turn against Israel and they got to run and flee in the mountains to survive the tribulation period because everybody's trying to wipe the Jews off the map. He's going to bring them back. So he's telling us here in a book written to Gentiles that the receiving of them shall be life from the dead. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, you weren't, you weren't the right kind of olive tree, were graft in among them, and with them partakest of the fruit and fatness of the olive tree. You see that? That olive tree is a type of the Jew. It's Israel. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Now let me say this. You know what I hold in my hand right now? It's a Jewish book. It's written by Jews. You know what my Savior is? My Savior's a Jew. Ain't, ain't he? Yes, sir. You got a Jewish... That, that's the root. The root's a Jewish thing. You got accepted in. If, if God has a race that means something to him above the other races, it's Israelites. I know that's so politically incorrect. I could care less. It's Israelites. The rest of us are all Gentiles. The Jews are important. Look at verse 19. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. And they also, 
the Jews, if they abide still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. By, excuse me, abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits. Look, that's where the whole, and we'll nail this down more when we get there in a little better detail, but that's where this whole movement of the church has replaced Israel comes from. He said, I don't want, it's ignorance, and this is a mystery that you're supposed to be taught about and you're supposed to know about. One of my jobs is to be faithful with the mysteries of God, and this is one of those mysteries. It's the mystery of the blindness of Israel and that God's going to graft her back in again. So I'm telling you right now, you've got to be careful about doctrines that tell you the church replaced Israel. He said, if I broke her off, I'll break you off. And if I can graft you in, you don't think I can graft the natural thing back in? God's definitely going to be bringing Israel back. You're the bride of Jesus Christ. We'll run the references more later. Israel is the bride of God. You know what he's done? And there's a bunch of references in the Old Testament to show you. He's put her off. You know what put off means in the Old Testament? It's divorce. Now how about that? God's divorced? Yes, God divorced his bride Israel. So all these people, a divorced preacher can't still be in the pulpit. They don't, they're not, they don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. They know religion, but they don't know the Bible. You got a problem with divorce? The right, I mean, I'm, I'm not for a guy just divorcing his wife because he's sick of her. Neither is God. But if the thing was scriptural, you know there's scriptural reasons. God had a right to break her off because she was unfaithful to him. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring her back. That's what we're looking at over here in Revelation 11, and you're going to see it as we go through here. He doesn't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits. That's a scary thing. That blindness is part, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, so shall, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sin. Now how about that? You, you think anybody in their right mind can teach that the church has replaced Israel. So these two olive trees, there are a couple of Jews that are coming back in the tribulation to preach. That can't be Enoch because he wasn't a Jew. That makes sense? See how the Bible clears up all the stuff that they confuse you with? But they use one verse to show you it's Enoch, and you're like, oh yeah, it's a point on a man wants to die. He never died, so he has to come back because these guys will see soon get killed in the tribulation period and raised back to life. So there you go. Then he dies. There's the explanation. No, there's a group of people that are never going to die, and that's you. If, you, if you're here till the rapture. So we got to pray that the rapture's coming. Amen? Amen. I'm ready to go. Go back with me, if you would, please, to Zechariah chapter 4. Let me show you a couple things. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah and then Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament. So if you find Malachi, just go back a little bit and you'll get Zechariah chapter 4. The end of the Old Testament here. Zechariah chapter 4.11. Ever read through these minor prophets and just scratch your head half to death? So it will show you. It's a, this Bible's amazing. And the more you stay in church and the more you run these references and the more you see this stuff, the more you'll read through here and go, oh, I get that. 
That's a blessing, man. That's cool. Zechariah 4.11, Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? Well, ain't that interesting? You did see it in Revelation 11, right? You stay there in, 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 in uh, Zechariah. These are the two olive trees, Zechariah, uh, Revelation 11.4, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. They're Jews. You know what you got in Zechariah? You got these two witnesses. Look at another passage, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. So that's the last book in your Bible there. Go to your, go to your right to the book of Malachi chapter 4, the last uh, book in your Old Testament, I should say. Look at verse 1. Malachi 4.1 For behold, the day of the Lord cometh, that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that, shall leave, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Should say his wings. New Bibles change that. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in that day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of who? My servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now watch. Behold, I will send unto you Elijah, the great prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the uh, heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And there you got the end of your Old Testament. How does the Old Testament end? The Old Testament ends with what? A curse. Do you know that the chapter and in, in book markings and the order of the books in a King James Bible is not consistent with the originals? All these guys always telling you the originals this, the originals that. You've got to go back to the originals to get the truth because the King James Bible is a translation. And when you translate something, you lose the original meaning. You've got to go back to the originals, the originals, the originals, the originals. With little glasses on the tip of their nose. You've got to go to the originals. Some goofball that can't apply. Nothing in that book to real life. You sit down and tell them your problems and they're just like... Because <laughs> they've sheltered up in some stupid little office somewhere teaching somebody's, some rich kid, rich people's kids for years that dump money on them. And you send your boys down there to their schools and they go there because God called them and they want to learn the Bible. It ticks me off. They go there innocent in their heart. You hear me? A lot of them go there, good kids. What school do you go to? Oh, you're, oh, like, well, just hang on a minute. Some of them go to those places because they don't know any better. You understand that? And they're not all evil kids. They go there because they want to serve God. If, if you knew some of their testimonies, some of you wouldn't serve God if you went through what some of them went through. 
and they go down there with a Bible under their arm, here to serve God, wanting to go into the ministry, and they sit down in class, and some goofball gets up there and talks them out of the book that they came there to learn. And then they give them a degree and they send them off. Okay, now go minister to people. And they're trying to replicate what they saw in class. Ain't, that ain't real life. You can't minister to people like that. Man, God put me under a guy that believed the Bible cover to cover. He even believed the cover, man. It was crazy, you know. Like, I mean, just believed the Bible. Like, he put into me a passion for truth and a love for truth beyond anything I can put into words, man. I was obsessed. I remember, I remember laying down. I couldn't sleep sometimes so excited after I hear him preach. Just, I, I remember walking through the parking lot and feeling like my feet never touched the ground all the way to my car, man. I'd get in the car and I'd be preaching to myself just because I wanted to, just what he had I wanted, man. That's a love for the Bible. You know, he showed me, and I'll tell you this, it's extreme, okay? Brace yourself. What you hold, if you have a King James Bible, in your language, in your lap, that you can open up and read to make sure that the guy that's teaching you is telling you the truth. Because that's how God works, personally. What you hold, if you have a King James Bible, is better than the originals. That's extreme. Okay, if that's too much for you, like God is that weak in your mind that he can't do that, then fine. But he's not that weak to me. Your Old Testament Hebrew doesn't end like this. Do you know how the Old Testament Bible ended when the Jews had an Old Testament Bible? You know what the last book is? The last book tells them to go back up, to go home. It ends in 2 Chronicles if you got a Hebrew Bible. <laughs> he told them, go back to Israel. They're scattered all over the world. He's coming back for them. Well, they don't believe the New Testament, do they? So what's the last orders they heard that they got, God setting them up. Okay, you're not going to listen to the New Testament anyways, so you got your Old Testament. Then they go and they add all their extra stuff to it, but that's another message. But you got your Old Testament scriptures. Their Old Testament scriptures tells them to go home. That's interesting. Go look at the end of Second Chronicles and see what God told them to do. They're supposed to go back. How does your Old Testament end? With a curse in a King James Bible. That's not all. It's going to get better in a minute. What they'll tell you is this. Well, the book orders aren't, aren't inspired because the Hebrew Bible wasn't laid out this way. Yeah, you know what? The book order is laid out the way it's laid out, which is a whole other lesson for another day we may do sometime. It's laid out because when you go through the Old Testament scriptures, you know what you see? You see a premillennial layout to the way the books are laid out. It doesn't follow itself chronologically by date. Very interesting. When you look at the New Testament scriptures, the books of the New Testament Bible are laid out in a premillennial, pre-trib fashion to lay out for you doctrine and to show you prophecy at the same time. That Bible in your lap is so much more layered than you even realize. They'll say this, in the originals there weren't any chapter and verse markings, which is correct. You try to read a Greek, man, the stuff just runs together. It's, it's brutal to read. You know what you got in the King James Bible? Chapter and verse markings. You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to say, well, the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. But if you go start running the number 13 and looking at verse number 13s and chapter 13s and you start running some of those numbers in the Bible, your mind is going to be blown as to what God was doing when he put chapter and verse markings in a King James Bible. The word translated shows up three times in your Bible. 
Every single time when God gives you translated, the, the, the translation is an improvement of the original, not the opposite. But they tell you you lose things in translation. Well, he said, I'll give you my word and I'll preserve it from this generation for what? He said it's going to be purified seven times. So when you hold a King James Bible, which coincidentally is the universal language of the end times, it's, we don't believe the English Bible is it above all other versions or other languages because we're arrogant Americans. We believe the King James Bible is it above all other languages because English is the universal language. Monica's from India, right? Grew up in India, came here in 2015. She already knew English before she came here, learning English in India. They do that all over the world. Because God so loved the Oh. And you're born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God. So the Bible that's the authority is in English, not because God thinks Americans are so much better than everybody else, because it's the universal language. He wants to get His Word to the world. You got a miracle in your hands if you got a King James Bible. And let me, let me show you a couple other things that help you with that, help you to understand that. First of all, I want you to see this about these guys. Look at verse number 5 in Revelation 11. Verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, these two Jews, they're olive trees, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and their power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Hang on a minute. They're shutting off heaven so it doesn't rain. They're turning water to blood, and they're smiting the earth with plagues. Does that remind anybody of anybody in the Old Testament? So who is the crackhead professor that grabs a verse and pulls it out of context, that doesn't want you to see a pre-millennial setup and a pre-tribulation rapture. These guys don't believe the Bible. I'll show you more next time because they come into Revelation 11 and they change uh, kingdom to kingdoms. Or, or, excuse me, kingdoms to kingdom. Because they're all about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, because they think they're bringing in the kingdom. You ain't bringing in nothing. It's going to get worse and worse until the Gentiles get where the Jews were and God breaks them off because he's sick of them and he pulls the church out and he, the world goes to absolute hell in a handbasket and he starts dealing with the Jew again. That's the end of this thing. You ain't bringing nothing in. He's going to forcibly set up his kingdom at the end of the millennium. These two guys are Jews, man, and it's Moses and Elijah, no doubt about it. Let's just run the references real quick. Go back to Numbers chapter 16. Because I want to show you one other thing after this, and then we'll stop for today. Numbers chapter 16. So you know all about all the plagues of Moses, right? You remember all that and getting them out of Egypt. But don't you know that Moses also was connected to fire from God consuming people? <laughs> Folks, it's Moses. I mean, if you just let the Bible explain the Bible, these two guys are Moses and Elijah, and there ain't no doubt about it. Uh, Numbers 16, look at verse 31. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened up her mouth, verse 32, number 1632, is still here pages, so I'm helping you out. Uh, the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up. And their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods, they and all that appertained unto them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. 
And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. How'd they die? They were withstanding Moses and they got burned up by fire. Well, that's not all. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. You guys remember Elijah? What a sweetheart he was. I'm sorry, 2 Kings 1. 2 Kings 1, look at uh, verse 10. 2 Kings 1.10, And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, I'll wait, sorry. I'm hurrying because I told you to get you out of here by 2 and I'm trying to do that. So, Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And he sent also unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And, and, and Elijah answered, Man, are you stupid? You can't learn from the other guy's mistakes, you moron. I mean, really, really, really. I don't care if I got 50 soldiers with me. If this guy just called down fire from heaven and fried up 50 guys, I ain't approaching him like that. So he comes up and come down, the king said. Well, so what? <laughs> Let me show you my king. And he calls down fire. If He said, If I be a man of God, verse 12, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee in thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him in his fifty. And he sent again a captain of the third fifty with his fifty. Now this guy got a brain. This is a smart guy, right? This is the guy you follow in the battle. This guy will this get you home alive. The third captain of fifty went up and came and fell down on his knees before Elijah and besought him. And said, O man of God... I pray thee, let my life and the life of these thy fifty be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came fire down from heaven and burned up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life be now precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. Smart guy. He got the job done, did the orders the king gave him, and kept all those guys alive. Because he came up the right way. The other two that stood against him, fire from heaven coming down and burn them up. Ain't that something? Well, I mean, I guess we kind of know who, go back to Revelation 11, please. I guess we kind of know who these two guys are. Because he says, um, and I'm not going to turn you there for the sake of time, but he says in verse 5, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Man, what a gift would that be? <laughs> would that be great? Man, I mean, how'd you like that, Brother Drake? You know, you get to, they come after you to try to stop you from preaching. You just, you know, like, boom. Anyways, turn your Bibles to, you know, and how would those deacons' meetings go? You know what I mean? Like, we don't need that in our deacons' meetings, thank God. But, you know, what a blessing that would be, right? Well, who are these guys? It's pretty obvious who they are. Not only is the fire coming, but they have power to shut up heaven that it rain not. Well, James chapter 5, verse 17 you know, don't turn there for the sake of time because I want to show you something else that I think is really cool about your King James Bible. And I'll leave you with that. It's a little cherry on top here. But James chapter 5, verse 17 says, Elias prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Well, it's pretty obvious then who these two guys are. They're Jews with the same powers that God gave Moses and Elijah who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That interesting. Let me show you a couple other verses real quick and then we'll stop. Go to Luke chapter 2.
Luke chapter 2. I want you to see verses 15 and 17. 15 through 17. Um, actually, no, for the sake of time, for the sake of time, skip Luke. Go to Matthew, um, Matthew 3. It's actually Luke 1, but Matthew 3, please. Look at verse 1. I'll just show you this. The others, the others are redundant. It's just more proof on the same thing. Matthew 3, look at verse, uh, look at verse 1. What book are you in in Matthew? Book of Matthew, what number is that in the Bible? Anybody know the number? There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. Anybody remember that from Sunday school? The Bible has 66 books. The Testaments, they are too. 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. If you don't know that, you need that song. This is an essence to the foundation of your biblical knowledge. Do you understand? You guys don't know that song? Oh, my goodness. Yes, this is a good one. So there are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. So when we're in Matthew, what book number are we in? We're in book number 40, right? What chapter are we in? Chapter 3. Now watch this. Look at verses 1 through 6. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. The same John had a raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And they went out to him, then went out to him, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Luke tells you that he comes in the spirit, I believe, in power of Elias, right? Okay, interesting. Go back with me to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to show you something. This is what I want to do. This is my goal, okay? Everybody has an angle. Here's my angle. Please go to Isaiah chapter 40. My angle is this. I want you to understand. I mean, I want, I want you to understand this. This is important to me for you to understand. The Bible in your lap is perfect. The Bible in your lap is infallible. The Bible in your lap is the Word of God. Build your faith on that book. Don't just have this ambiguous Jesus that you serve or your feelings or whatever somebody told me or this is what I was taught. Trust the Word of God. I don't care how smart somebody is or how much they convince you. Trust the Word of God. Don't trust anything else. They tell you the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. Did you know the book of Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. It has 66 chapters. It's a little little microcosm of the entire Bible because the first 39 books of the book of Isaiah deal primarily, not entirely, they deal primarily with the first coming of Jesus Christ. The last 27 chapters of the book of Isaiah deal primarily and not entirely with the second coming of Jesus Christ. What chapter did I ask you to turn to in Isaiah? What book did we just read from? What verse did I point out to you in Matthew, the 40th book of the third verse? We're in Isaiah chapter 40, verse what? 
The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. Can I be gracious? Let me just be as gracious as I think God wants me to be. Your professor is ignorant. I didn't say he has an evil heart. I didn't say he's wicked. I didn't say he doesn't love Jesus. I didn't say he's not a devoted man. I said he's ignorant. Ignorant? You know what the def- you shouldn't say ignorant. Do you know what the definition of ignorant is? It's untaught. At a minimum, he's ignorant. At a maximum, he's a tool of the devil. To undermine your faith in that book. It's interesting to me you're in Isaiah 40 in verse number 3 and it matches up perfectly with Matthew chapter 4, Matthew uh, verse number 3, chapter 1 verse 3. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elias, but he wasn't Elijah. You know what he was? He was God's way of saying, it's your fault and your fault always. Because if Israel had accepted their Messiah, John the Baptist would have fulfilled that prophecy and the Bible would have been perfect. Now, we'll get into this more when we go through the book of Romans, but these Calvinists that say God controls decisions that men make are lying to you. They're taking enough verses, and man, some of them are brilliant, and their teachings will just boggle your mind. It is hard to convince a Calvinist that they're wrong once they're sold on Calvinism. So I'd rather just teach you up front the truth so that you know how to answer it when you see it before your mind gets all messed up by these guys, like we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. So, it's mind-boggling to consider God allows them to make the decisions that they make. He didn't force them to reject Jesus Christ. And He had the whole thing set up so that whatever they do, He's already got it covered. He gave them free will. So, if they had received Jesus Christ after they crucified Him early on in the book of Acts, John the Baptist would have fulfilled that prophecy because he had the spirit and power. But since that didn't happen, what you got is Moses and Elijah coming back in the future. Are you following the layered level of that? You think man's going to ever outsmart God? Ever outsmart God? You better be super, super careful about this is how it has to be. He's got that thing so set up, it, it defies imagination, it defies time, it transcends the intellect of man, it is unbelievable the power of God, and he's got it all wrapped into this Bible in front of you. And all of his bases are always covered. That's why I say something extreme, and I'm telling you, I don't believe this is even the case, but if for some reason God waited another 500 or 1,000 years to come, he's right. And somehow we all missed it. And he's going to go, hey, look. And he's going to run a couple references. And we're going to go, how did we not see that? Um, let me just give you one more. Go to Isaiah chapter 66. And we'll stop right here. So just give me just another minute or two. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you guys have come to expect it from me. You know, you're so gracious to me and not beating me up about you said this and you lied in the pulpit. I'm telling you, I'll have to get that right at the judgment seat, man. Like, I know, Lord, I told him that. and I've got to get better about that. Isaiah 66, verse 20. And they shall uh, bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all nations upon horses and in chariots and in, lift, and in and litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem. Saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. The Lord. And I will also take of, of them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. 
And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship me, saith the Lord. Now listen, we'll, we'll, get, we'll come back to this when we get to the end of Revelation and spell some of this out. Here's what I want you to see. You're in the 66th chapter of Isaiah, right? Of course the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. When you get to verse 21 and verse 22, what does it talk about? You ever read Revelation chapters 21 and 22? You know what it's dealing with? New heavens and the new earth and eternity future. But the chapter and verse markings aren't inspired. We're done. Revelation chapter 11. We'll pick it up next week. I've got to just stop. Okay? Revelation chapter 11, verses 4, 5, and 6. Do you know what those are? That's Moses and Elijah coming back to preach in the tribulation period. And it's not Enoch because Enoch is a type of you. He's a Gentile that gets called out first and doesn't die. So our prayer is, our prayer is that he comes and gets us out of here soon. Because it would be great to be that one that makes it to the end without having to die, wouldn't it? All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed.